group is growing slightly every day. Um, All right, for those of you who are remaining in here for the service, uh, you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 uh, if you have one, or if not, you'll find that scripture passage printed in the bulletin you got on the way in. As you're turning there, I want you to ask yourself this question, and and, and I'm curious if you've ever thought this way. Um, Do you ever wonder whether or not your faith is real? Do you ever wonder whether or not you're really a Christian? I know for some of you, this could be a source of chronic anxiety, um, where it could, it could be on the level of maybe being a cause of panic attacks for you at times. It's a deep question that haunts you. Do I really know Jesus? Um, is my faith real? Um, and and, and if, you know, objectively speaking, you, there's a lot of evidence in your life that would say, yes, your faith is real. You love Jesus. You, you follow him. You've given your life to him. But still... You just feel haunted about whether or not it's real, whether or not you really believe. That's some of you. And then there are others of you who have never asked that question, but you should. Um, You've just assumed that you and God are good. Sure, you're not not perfect, but you you assume things are just going to kind of work out in the end. Um, Even though you may not be that religious or that active in your faith, or maybe you really haven't experienced much faith on kind of a heart level, you're just like banking on the fact that you and God are good, and you just don't really think about it, and you don't really think to ask that question. Some people can spend their entire lives in that space, attending church, um, around the Bible, hanging out with Christian people, even marrying other Christians, and maybe even, even doing religious stuff, and they assume they're good with God, But in reality, they do not know him in their hearts. And sometimes that can be true of church leaders as well. Listen to this quote from Dan Doriani talking about the Reformation many years ago. He says that at the beginning of the Reformation, thousands of priests converted to Christ. They were priests who then converted to Christ. Martin Luther, during the Reformation, was a priest long before he grasped the gospel truth that God forgives and justifies the wicked, not the good. So Martin Luther was someone teaching and proclaiming God's word before he actually knew God. He talks about another person named Abraham Kuyper. He says, before he became a famous theologian, educator, and politician, Abraham Kuyper was a pastor. And he was converted by an elderly woman in his church who suspected that he was not a believer and arranged to meet with him. So imagine that your pastor is preaching and you're listening and you think, that guy doesn't know Jesus. And so this elderly woman arranged a meeting and Convinced him he wasn't a Christian, and so he was converted. Doriani says, sadly, many ordinary people attend church, pray, and serve the church, but do not know Jesus personally. That can be especially true in a context like ours, where it is very culturally acceptable and even expected to attend church. Where it's just kind of what you do, and it's not necessarily... A bold statement of faith to walk into church on Sundays. Where it's just kind of like what happens on a Sunday. That can be very true. Just to, to assume things are fine with God. When in reality maybe our faith isn't real. Is that you? That's what Jesus wants us to think about this morning. Whether we really know him or not. And I'm pretty sure he wants it to be disruptive. In the most loving way possible. Um, We're getting towards the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching. Um, At this point, the crowds have gathered. His disciples, his closest friends, were sitting in the front row up on this hillside. 
And other crowds, other different types of people had gathered behind and formed this big crowd. So there would have been skeptics, those with questions. Those who didn't believe were just curious. Those who were committed believers. Uh, The religious leaders were here at this point. Those who thought they already knew everything about God and they didn't like what Jesus had to say. So all kinds of different uh, people on the spectrum of belief and unbelief standing there listening to Jesus. And Jesus um, invites some honest reflection as to whether or not our faith is real in this passage. Let me read for us. This is Matthew 7, verse 13 through 23. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word and uh, we need help from your spirit to know you and to understand what you would have for us this morning. So Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, So we have a a small church office about five minutes down the road on Pleasantburg. Uh, Many of you have been there. It's where we do like new members classes. There's some Bible studies that use that space. Um, It's a small space. but one of the things, uh, the, the, one of the, the ways that, that it's been decorated is with some, some plants and some, some greenery, which is always good to have some greenery around. And, uh, you know, I'm the one that's in the office probably more than most. And so I'll, sometimes I'll notice that the plants get a little droopy. And so what do you do with droopy plants? You water them. And there's this, in the main space, there's a, uh, it's a fiddle leaf tree, which is a really cool tree. It's survived most of the time we've had this office. And, um, and I'll, I'll get some water and I'll bring it over there and, you know, pour the water in the soil. It just feels like you're doing a good thing when you water a plant. You know, you see the, the soil, uh, you know, just fill up with the water and, and you can almost see the plant perk up. There's another plant in the, in the front room on the floor. I don't know what kind of plant it is, but this is one that withers really quickly. And as soon as you water it, it's almost like you can watch it come back to life again. It's an amazing thing. And, and, uh, and there, there, the first time I watered these, I, was, I watered these two plants. There was another plant up on this uh, bookshelf in our, in our front lobby. And, and so I'm thinking, you know, while I water these, I'll water this one too. This one didn't really look droopy. It, it, to be honest, it always kind of looked the same. And, uh, and so I, but I thought, let's go ahead and water this. And so I, I look closely. I pour the water on it. And I'm trying to, like, experience the moment where you watch the water go into the soil. And it, the soil doesn't look like soil. Pour the water. If, if the water pours on it and it comes directly off over the side of the pot and down the shelf. And I look closely and you, you, know, you know what happened. It was a fake plant. 
It was a fake plant. Yeah, there was no, no soil. It was plastic leaves, plastic stems, plastic inside of it. There's a reason it always looked exactly the same. But you looked at these three plants together, and you thought, two real plants, one fake, fake plant, they, they, they all look the same. I couldn't tell the difference. Um, here's the best thing that we can do this morning. We can honestly consider whether or not our faith in Jesus is real. And he's going to give us three different ways to reflect on this. He's going to talk about gates, G-A-T-E-S, gates, fruit, and the kingdom. First, let's talk about gates. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus says there are two gates or two ways, the narrow and the wide. Let's talk about the wide. Um, What is the wide gate or the wide way? Verse 13, for the wide, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. Okay, so what, what about this gate? It's wide. What does that mean? It's easy to get through. The way is easy. It's not a hard path. Some of you ran the Swamp Rabbit Half Marathon yesterday. I love that race. It's my favorite half marathon. Uh, and there's a reason it's such a great race. For those who ran yesterday, why, why is that such a great race? You can say it out loud. I know we're present here. You can say it out loud. Why is that such a great race? It's just downhill. It's downhill. It's like the perfect gentle downhill slope the entire way, which is like the perfect course to run on. Um, now, I was out there watching the finish and saw all of you who ran, and the effort was amazing. Strong effort. But there's a reason why so many people want to do that race, because the course is pretty easy compared to other half marathon courses. Um, the way that Jesus is speaking about here is wide and easy. And he says, because it's wide and easy, a lot of people will enter this way. They want to go the easy way. But where does it lead? He says it leads to destruction. He contrasts that wide way to this narrow way. Let's talk about the narrow way or the narrow gate. This is the one that Jesus recommends we go in, verse 13. Verse 14, he says it's narrow. What does that mean? It's hard to get through. There's not a lot of space. Uh, Think about the security line at GSP. If you've ever flown before and and you don't have the the access that gets you in the short line, the long line, if you show up at the wrong time, it serpentines around, takes forever to get through. Why? It's literally narrow security at the airport. One person at a time, check the ID, shoes off, belt off, toiletries out, electronics out, through the machine, you stand sideways, the thing whirls around you. It is a long and slow process because the criteria to get through that narrow gate is very strict. It's a security line. Uh, Verse 14, Jesus says the way that leads to this narrow gate is hard. It's not an easy way. And because of that, he says, only a few find it. It's not the way of the masses, like the easy way, but it's the way of the few. But, he says, it's a good way. It leads to life. Uh, Growing up, we would go out west uh, to the Rocky Mountains almost every summer. And one summer, I was out there with my dad and my brother, and we wanted to hike to the top of Mount Elbert. Mount Elbert is the tallest mountain in the state of Colorado. It's like 14,000 feet. 439-ish feet. And uh, my dad is, um, has great topography skills. So like you give him a, a map, and I think that's what it's called, a map and a compass, uh, and he can get just about anywhere. And so we decided we wanted to find our own trail to the top. There was another trail that, that you could follow that's sort of a preset trail. We didn't go that way. Um, so we, we hiked in and we backpacked in the backcountry one night. 
spent the night um, near the base of this mountain, and then we um, used the map and the compass. We would take readings off of other mountains and identifiable land features around us to take readings and, and, and basically find our own way up. There was no trail. We were finding our way up this mountain, and it was um, really, really difficult to do. Uh, because we weren't following a trail, we were simply finding our own way. And so that meant that a lot of this trail was really steep that we were on, or it was like over lots of loose rock and it felt really dangerous, or near these steep ledges. And um, eventually we got to the top, and when we got to the top, it, we felt like legends. We felt like we just did something that very few people could do. Such a hard path to get up there. Not many people could do that. But then we look around at the top and, and we see a lot of people at the top of this mountain. Because there's another trail. There's an easy trail. We saw families with small children and dogs and people up there having picnics. And, and it just it felt so off because we had worked so hard and toiled to get to the top of this mountain and they just took the easy path up. Following Jesus is the harder path. Do you see how Jesus says his way is hard? If you're someone who is a follower of Jesus, think about your life. Think about all the times that you say no to your impulses and temptations. Think about how much of your life as a follower of Jesus is in turmoil because you want to follow Jesus, but it's hard to do in this life. Um, Saying no to sexual temptation and remaining pure in our thoughts and our actions, that is not easy to do. Um, not giving in to gossip, but, but holding our tongues or um, honoring others with our words. That is not easy. It's easier to engage in that gossip. Um, how we use our money, not hoarding it for ourselves or spending it frivolously on ourselves, but giving generously to the point to where we feel ourselves giving generously. That is not easy. Um, think about your time. We love to have control of our time and our busy schedules. Giving away your time for the sake of others, that does not come naturally. That's a hard thing. that We feel that turmoil when we do that. Making Sunday worship a priority when we have to say no to other things, that can really throw a wrinkle in our schedules. Um, think about your work. Uh, maybe you're in an industry where honesty is not like common. And so for you to be honest is going to feel like a step backward career-wise. It's going to put you at a disadvantage. That's not easy to be in that environment. Um, This is much of the Christian life. The way of Jesus is not easy. It's hard, but he says it leads to life, that it's the good way. So first reflection from Jesus, which way are you on? Which gate are you entering through, the wide or the narrow? He says enter by the narrow gate. Maybe harder now, but it leads to a good place. That's the first reflection. Second reflection, reflection he gives us is about the fruit that we see in our lives. Let's talk about this fruit. Verse 15, he starts by talking about false prophets or false teachers. And, then, and he expands it in 17 and 18 out to refer to everyone. He's talking about bad fruit and good fruit. Let's talk about this bad fruit. So in reference to false prophets, or what we could say would be like false teachers, look at verse 15 and 16. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Okay, so the grid that he gave to his disciples 
to, to decipher false prophets, the, the grid that he gives to us to decipher false teachers or false pastors, is this. It, it, the, 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 um, the first thing he says is that these false teachers are going to look the part. They're going to look like sheep, but they're actually wolves, meaning they're going to be easy to miss. They're going to look the part. They're going to use the right words. They're going to run with the right people. They're going to have the right credentials. Think about that quote from Doriani I shared at the beginning that there were lots of pastors and priests during the Reformation that became Christians after they became pastors. They're going to look the part, but ultimately it's all fake. But the ultimate tell on false teachers is the fruit. What's the fruit? It's their content and their character. This fruit shows itself in the content of their teaching. If you listen closely, are they preaching the good news of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures? Salvation by grace through faith. Is that the message being preached? Not salvation by doing more. By works, by earning it yourself. But by grace through faith. Are they teaching the scriptures as being true, as, as inerrant and infallible? Uh, the resurrection of Jesus as being real, physical, bodily resurrection that really happened. Core tenets of biblical, historic, orthodox Christianity. Or is it some other message? He's saying that, they're, they're, that part of the fruit of a teacher or prophet is the content of their message. So that's one grid to think about. The other would be the, the character of the teacher or the prophet themselves. What does this person's life look like? How do they treat people? If they have a spouse and children, how do they treat their spouse and children? How do they treat their neighbors? How do they treat the poor? Jesus says we'll know the difference between true and false prophets or teachers based on the fruit that they bear. Then he expands it to everyone. Verses 17 and 18. Every healthy tree will what? Bear healthy fruit. And a diseased tree will bear bad fruit. They can't do the opposite. All right, let's talk about good fruit. So whether it's evaluation of of a teacher or prophet or evaluating ourselves, what does good fruit look like? Uh, First, what it's not. It's not perfection. It's not perfection. Good fruit begins with repentance. Repentance is a key indicator that someone really knows the Lord. Acknowledging that we have made mistakes frequently, currently still make mistakes, have messy, inconsistent lives, and are honest with God and others about that regularly. Repentance, first sign of fruit. Humility is a sign of good fruit, which shows itself in a lot of different ways in the Christian life. A desire for growth in the Lord. Someone who is teachable, who is always learning more and more about the Lord and His ways. Someone who is hungry for God's Word, eager to hear from it, eager to read it. Eager to pray and talk to God. And again, caveat, not all the time, not perfectly. Maybe sometimes the eagerness to pray is a a desire to want to pray more. Um, It's someone who is inspired and motivated by good teaching of the Bible. That's a sign of good fruit in someone's life. Um, Also from Galatians 5, that the fruit of the Spirit are present. Increasingly in some form or fashion, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Galatians 5, is that fruit apparent in some way? Not perfectly, but little by little, more and more. Jesus says in John 13 that people are going to know we're his disciples by how we love one another. What does love look like in your life, in this person's life? 
Is your love so distinctly Christ-like that it stands out? This is good fruit. Not perfect, but it is also not cold, rigid morality. But warm, loving, Christ-like character that is more and more evident in followers of Jesus. Sometime, I think it was last week, in our house we had pasta with red sauce for dinner. And um, our, our dog has gotten, some dogs get more obedient over time, other dogs get less obedient over time. Our dog has not gotten more obedient over time. Um, he started begging more and more and, um, and, and he'll, he'll kind of sneak into the kitchen we're still sitting at the table and any dishes with any food on them in the sink. He's a larger dog so he can hop up and sort of like explore what's in the sink. And sure enough, um, we had put some of the dishes from the pasta in the sink and we're sitting there at the dining room table and Max goes around the corner. We can't see our sink from our dining room table. And we thought we heard him in the sink kind of getting into the dishes, but we didn't know for sure. And sure enough, he came back around the corner. He's a black and white dog. He has white around his face. And sure enough, uh, we knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that Max had gotten into the pasta in the sink. You know how we knew? There was red pasta sauce all over his white beard. He was covered in it. It was proof. There was no question that what we thought might be true about Max in the kitchen was in fact true because there was this crystal clear evidence. Jesus says our good fruit will be proof of our true faith. And that good fruit, it doesn't save us. It's all by his grace. But that good fruit will always accompany, will always flow from and come from true faith. So the invitation of Jesus here is to consider what fruit is being born in your life. That's good personal journal and prayer reflection for you to do on your own. And it'd be really good to ask a close friend or a roommate or a spouse, someone who knows you well and will be honest with you, about what that looks like for you. What gate or what way are you entering through, the wide or the narrow? What fruit are you bearing? Last guided reflection from Jesus is about his kingdom. In case there was any question as to what Jesus meant by these previous passages, he makes it crystal clear. Look at verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a hard truth that Jesus is giving us, but he is saying that there will be some who think that they should get into his kingdom, but will not be let into his kingdom. Listen to what Doriani says about this. He says, we can call Jesus Lord and yet not know him as Lord of our life. Just as important, it is possible to obey Jesus on many points and not know him personally. Jesus does not say this to frighten, tender, or introspective disciples. Key, let me say that again. Jesus does not say this to frighten, tender, or introspective disciples, but to awaken those who profess faith without having faith. He stirs up all who know about Jesus without knowing Jesus. Do you profess to have faith but not really have it? Um, Do you know about Jesus but not truly know him in your heart? Um, Not are you new to the faith, are you growing in the faith, are you young in the faith, but do you have faith? Are you awake in Christ or are you asleep? 
Um, if you feel like you are, have just been going through the motions with the whole church thing, um, this might be a wake-up call from Jesus. Because there will be a day where every single one of us will have to stand before him and give an account. And we don't know when that day will come. What will Jesus say to you as you stand before him? Um, many who think they do, do not actually know him. He has a parable about this in Matthew 13. And he says this, he says this, sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed, seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. That's the first category. Second category, he says, other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Third category, he says, other seeds fell among the thorns. Thorns grew up and choked them out. Fourth category, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Those middle two categories should haunt us. Because at some point there are signs of faith. There's some kind of life that's springing up. But something comes in with this, with this second category, the seed that falls on rocky ground. It represents those, Jesus says later, where faith gets hard or something challenges them in their faith, and they bail. Wasn't real faith, they're out. Third category, the seed gets choked out by thorns. Jesus says this is someone who appears to have real faith, but the cares of the world and the wealth of the world comes in and chokes it out. The question we have to think about is, where has the seed fallen for me? What kind of soil has that seed fallen on? Some who have called him Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's the question we have to ask about this kingdom. How do we get into the kingdom? How do we come to have true faith in Christ? The impulse would be to like go do a bunch of Christian stuff to like manufacture some of this good fruit. And and maybe that will at least put, put others' questions at bay, maybe our own for a time. But it's not by doing more. It's not by trying hard. Remember, people have gone to seminary and been ordained as pastors and been hired by churches and preached in churches and not known Jesus. Doing more is not the answer. What I want to do is I want to read the first three questions, uh, our first three membership questions, uh, which you've heard every time we receive receive new members. I ask these questions. That's what we study in our new members class and our communicants class. And... um, I want to do this because they, they do a great job of distilling down what true faith really is. And I, and I do so with two audiences in mind. Um, the first is those um, with a tender conscience. Those who, of you who are very introspective um, and who really battle anxiety of whether or not you really are secure in your salvation. So I, I have you in mind. And then secondly, the rest of the audience who is not asking that question, who should be asking that question. Maybe faith has been on autopilot. Uh, maybe you've always assumed things are good with God, but, but, but maybe there's not real faith there. Um, to the first audience with the tender conscience, let this be a comfort to you. Let this be further security for you. Further assurance that you do believe that you are following Jesus and you're secure in him. To the second question, or to the second audience, those who have never really questioned this, I want you to really consider these questions. Uh, as though you may even have to answer them before God one day. These are the, I'll paraphrase these first three membership questions. Do you believe that you're a sinner and you deserve the wrath of God because of your sin and you have no hope except for God to be merciful to you? 
How would you answer that before God? Do you really believe your sin is that bad? And you are hopeless unless God is somehow merciful. That's the first question. Secondly, do you receive and rest on Jesus for your salvation? For your forgiveness? For your righteousness as the only way to be saved? That is, do you recognize that your sin is so bad that you're not good enough to clean yourself up? God's going to have to do that for you. And he did it for you in Jesus. Do you see him as the only way? And have you received and rested on him as your salvation? Third question. Do you commit to living as a follower of Jesus in all areas of life? Do you surrender everything? Do you surrender life to him as Lord over every every part of you? Every relationship, your job, your family, everything. Uh, True faith uh, is what is being talked about here that it repents and surrenders to Jesus as both Savior and as Lord over everything and it bears fruit verse 12 of our passage the one who does the will of my father this is the committing to live as a follower of Jesus this this profession of faith shows itself out in the fruit and if this is stirring in you this morning please talk to someone please talk talk to me talk to someone talk to a friend talk to someone you know that knows Jesus Do not let this moment pass you by. Is the Spirit of God stirring in you to begin to ask this question, even for the first time, is my faith real? And most importantly, cry out to God. Cry out to God this morning. Turn from your sin. Turn from it and turn to this gracious God. Receive and rest on what Jesus has done for you. Follow him today for the first time. Even if you've been in church for your entire life. A few weeks ago, Aaron and I were cleaning out our garage and we found an old coin collection that we had inherited from my grandmother when she passed. And it had been sort of stowed away in this uh, box in our garage for a number of years. Um, but we were cleaning out the garage and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to really look into these coins and see if there's anything of value in here. And I, so I, I got them out and I initially start looking them up online, uh, which is pretty impossible to do. If you look them up online, you're either convinced that they're worthless or that they're worth like $250,000 each. And so, you know, it's quite a range. Um, And so I thought, all right, this isn't working. So there's a coin shop on Lawrence Road, really close to here. I don't know if you've been. I recommend it. They know what they're doing. So I I take this this bag of coins to the coin shop this past week, and, and in the back of my mind, I was hoping this would be a story that would like, and we funded our kids' college with these coins that we inherited from my grandmother. Um, And so I take them in, and I dump them out on the counter, and, and they're in this pile, and um, this guy instantly, I could tell he knew what he was doing, he, he looks them over, and uh, he takes about 95% of the coins, and he pushes them all to the side, and he says, those are worth nothing, you can go spend those, that's just face value right there, but then there's a small stack, so I'm like, all right, still got this, still, still some potential here, and he starts looking them over, and then he gets his calculator, and he does a few things, and he says, all right, here's what this is worth. And I won't tell you what it was worth. Uh, no college fun. More like part of a dinner at Chipotle. Um, but, I, but when I looked at this bag of coins, they all looked the same to me. They all looked like old and interesting and unique. I'm like, surely, like, this is like seriously valuable stuff here. But, it, but when you had a professional trained eye on it, he knew instantly. Yes, yes, yes. The rest of these, no. God can see your heart. God can see your heart. 
He can see your heart in a way that you even can't see your heart. And He can see whether or not that faith is real. And Jesus is is disrupting us into asking that question, is my faith real? And here's the good news. He wants you to have true faith. Think of how loving this is of Jesus to do this. To shake us out if we are asleep. He invites us to have true faith this morning. To own and to repent of the ways that we have rebelled against Him. And to receive and rest on His life and His death and His resurrection on our behalf. This is the offer to every single one of you this morning. Won't you awaken from your slumber and receive Jesus. Receive this good life that He offers. Let's pray. Father, these are weighty words. And we thank You that You've given them to us. You've given us the opportunity to respond. And Father, I pray for for those here with the tender conscience who are introspective and who feel anxiety about the security of their salvation. I pray they would feel secure in Christ today in in a way that they haven't before. They feel secure in You. God, um, for those who are here who have just assumed things have been fine between You and them, and who have maybe never even thought to ask the question whether or not their faith is real, I pray you would stir in them this morning. And that if they discover that that faith isn't real, God, may this be the day of salvation. May they believe for the first time. Would you work salvation in them? Grant the gift of faith. Father, we need you to help us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.